open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. The title of this morning's message is Willingness in the Christ-Centered Life. You could also call that the Gospel-Centered Life for us now. But the question before us today is this. You can write this down. How has knowing Jesus affected your level of willingness to follow Jesus? How has knowing Jesus affected your level of willingness to follow Jesus? You can personalize that and ask the question, how has knowing Jesus affected my level of willingness to follow him? Because that's what a relationship with Christ is like. We come to know him, right? We come to know him. God finds us through the gospel. He rescues us through the gospel. We come to know Jesus Christ, to believe in him, to trust in him, and then we have a journey of faith where we're following Christ. And our, our level of willingness to follow Christ increases the more that we know him. Now, that's the power of God in the life of a believer. Because as the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I know what resides within me and it's not a willingness to follow God and to do the things that God wants me to do. He puts his Holy Spirit within me and within you if you're a believer to illuminate your mind and your heart and to woo you and to call you to a higher level of faith and service and willingness. And so our willingness to follow Jesus increases the more we get to know him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's really the question for us today that I want you to consider is where is your level of willingness when it comes to following Christ right now in your relationship with him? How willing are you? And I love this morning's text from scripture because it focuses on this idea of willingness to be willing now, John Calvin said many years ago, when looking at this passage, he says in his commentary that by telling the disciples to relay this message, the one that we're about to see, Jesus proved his divinity for both to know absent matters and to bend the hearts of men to compliance. Of course, Calvin was a Calvinist. <laughs> Big surprise. But he believed that the Bible taught that when it comes to the will of man, Martin Luther believed this as well. He wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will. That the will of man is in bondage to sin. And unless we're set free by the grace of God through Christ in the gospel, our will will continue to be in bondage. But once we're born again, when we're born again, we are now free to follow Jesus Christ. Our willingness to follow him can grow. Now Tommy gave a bird's eye view and focused on verses 27 through 33 last week. The idea of authority. The overall big picture theme of chapters not just 11 but chapters 11 and 12 are about the authority of Jesus Christ. And particularly the rejection of his authority by society at large and especially the Jewish nation of Israel. That's what all of chapter 11 and 12 are focused on. 
is the fact that Israel, God's chosen people, Old Testament people, rejected the very Messiah that he had promised for so many years, that the prophets had spoken about, that the temple was, was constructed to reflect the glory of Jesus. This part of Mark's gospel focuses on the fact that the very people that Jesus came to save, the very people that Jesus came for, the nation, nationwide, they rejected him. He was a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. The stone that the builders rejected. The chief cornerstone. That is, he's the one. That everything in the Old Testament makes sense. Only if you plug Jesus the Messiah into this, yet they rejected him. Today's message is going to not take that overall bird's eye view of the whole idea of authority. Kind of like what Tommy did last week. He kind of gave you a big picture. And then tied it up in the very last part of the chapter which focused on Jesus' authority. We're going to, we're going to zoom in a little bit this morning on that first part of chapter 11 where Jesus gives a real-time example of what willingness looks like in the life of a disciple. Now, <clears throat> this sequence of, events, sequence of events leading up to Jesus' death on the cross is vividly recorded by the gospel writers and we can see how retrospectively they, they looked back upon these events and the way that they interpreted them and recorded them for the early church. By looking back at this period in their journey with Jesus, they recognized the purpose and intent of the things Jesus did, peculiar things that Jesus did. Now as they're writing the Gospels later on, they realize the importance of the words that he said in each one of these scenarios. These were crucial events for the early church to remember. As the early church was birthed in the first century and the disciples were being made across the Roman Empire, it wasn't all roses in the first few centuries for the church. It was persecution after persecution after persecution. Statewide, Roman Empire persecution. One emperor after another who hated the Christians and said, we're going to burn them all. Wherever, wherever we find them, we're going to torture them. If they don't bow the knee to our king, to King Caesar, we're going to make their lives a living hell. And they did. And it was important for the early church, those early Christians, to look back and to see, why did Jesus say these things? What was he getting at? What was he illustrating? Because all the things that he says in chapters 11 and 12, specifically, are things that he wants his disciples to learn from. Not just pithy little lessons, like life lessons. Sometimes we do that to Scripture. No, these are, these are crucial things for us as Christians. These events had an immense impact upon discipleship and disciple-making. And a disciple is someone who knows Jesus and follows him. There are many people that come to Jesus and say they wanted what he was, what he was giving. I want you to heal me. Want you to make me wealthy, whatever. And Jesus say, come follow me. And they say, well, we don't, we don't want to do that. Discipleship is not just believing something about Jesus, but it is believing in him and following him. Because a true disciple, someone who really believes in him, the fruit of true faith, of real faith, is action. We're not saved by our actions. We're not saved by our works. But we are saved for good works. 
So the more we get to know him, the more willingly we follow him. So let's read the passage together. This is going to be a repeat for you if you were here last week, which is good. It's good to read the scripture over and over and over. Something else may stand out to you today. Starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away. And they found a colt tied at the door outside the street. And they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it. And he sat upon it. And many spread their garments on the road. And others spread leafy branches, which they had cut down from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Would you pray with me? Father, open our eyes and open up our hearts. Father, give us willing hearts by the power of your Spirit today. In Christ's name, amen. First thing that we notice about the willingness described here, and there are different people involved in this story. There are different figures in this story that we learn from the story the, the, the lesson of willingness. What does it mean to be willing? I love that variety in God's word. Where he takes all of these different characters. And the first ones that we find are the disciples. The disciples show us how willingness in the Christ-centered life looks. It's a willingness to follow the instructions of Jesus. It's that simple. It's not complicated. Look at what the Bible says here. Now, verse 1 gives us just a, a little bit of an idea of where they are. They're, they're like two miles outside of Jerusalem. They're, they're almost there. That's where Bethany is. It's two miles outside of Jerusalem. Bethpage is actually a city that's not on our map anymore. We don't know exactly where it is. But uh, scholars believe that it's just, just right across from Bethany on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So they're, they're in that area... And Jesus says to two disciples, we don't know who they are, but Jesus says to two of his disciples, <clears throat> there's a, go into that village, this is something they could see from across the way, go into that village, and as you get to, close to that village, you're going to find a colt. Now, this is a, a baby, a, a young donkey, okay, colt, or a foal, that has never been ridden on. Now, do the disciples know that? I mean, when you see a colt, how do you know it's never been ridden on? They don't know that by the way they, by what they see, but they know that Jesus has said, there's a colt there, and here's some information about the colt. 
Now, he says, very simply, go into the village, untie the colt, bring it to me, and say this. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Now, the disciples probably at this moment, they weren't afterwards. Afterwards, timing to reflect as the gospel's being written. The disciples understand what's going on here. But they might not have known at the moment that actually what Jesus was saying about, about this foal of a donkey was actually a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. But they followed his instructions anyway. They may not have known the fullness of the meaning of his command. They probably didn't get excited. We don't have any record of them going, yes, another prophecy fulfilled. But they certainly do now. And the church does after that. And knows that these disciples obeyed Jesus even though they didn't know all of the implications of the command. They still followed his instructions. Go into the village, untie the colt, bring it to me, and say this if anyone asks you. Jesus didn't give them a long explanation here. They were to do this in the open. They were to do it in broad daylight. They weren't to sneak around and do this over cover of night. So what could have happened? Anything. Jesus said that if anyone questioned them, they were to give a simple answer. And I love this. Because the, the answer that he says for them to give has repercussions for all of the events that come after. These are all linked. Jesus has need of it. Next week, when we get into the fig tree being cursed, we're going to remember those words. Because there's a fig tree whose one job is the, the, the job of everything that's ever been created, and that is to honor Jesus. To glorify Jesus with everything that you have, everything that you are. And so when Jesus tells his disciples to go and take that foal of a donkey that belongs to who, by the way? Jesus, everything's his. Everything belongs to God. But here God is in the flesh. Who's going to recognize his authority? Who's going to recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh and say, whatever I have is yours? Who's going to be willing to turn everything over to Jesus? This is what John means when he says in his gospel, the very first chapter of John, he came to his what? Own. He came to his own. Who on the face of the planet is his own? Everything. Everything is his own. Every cent in your bank account is God's. Every piece of clothing you have in your home is God's. Every bit of your intellect is God's. Rightfully God's. Why? Because he created you. And everything that we have and everything that we see on the face of this planet is worthy of Jesus, of giving over to Jesus, of being willing to say, Lord, here it is. And so he simply says to them, if people question you, just say this. The Lord has need of it. The Lord needs it. The Master needs it. Well, okay. Not sure how people are going to respond. Have you ever tried talking to someone about the Lord? And use the Lord? Like that phrase, the Lord? Well, you'll get all kinds of looks, right? Hey, let me tell you about the Lord. Oh, gosh. Please don't. This is one of those crazy people who go to church. Right? 
You start talking about the Lord, you start talking about Jesus, people go, okay, we're talking about a historical figure. But you start talking about Jesus as Lord, it gets a little weird, doesn't it? How would you feel if Jesus said to you, hey, I want you to go do this thing that's kind of strange, might get you in trouble, and when anybody asks you, you just say, the Lord has need of it. Okay, can you give me something else? Maybe just a footnote that would help explain? Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because this is all about his authority. He's telling his disciples, when you go out into the world, I'm going to give you a message. I'm going to give you instructions. And it may sound crazy. It may, the gospel message may sound foolish. But don't deviate. Follow the instructions. I'm one of those dads that when I open up a box of something to put together, I like to take them, the instruction thingies, and just toss them over my shoulder, right? I don't need that. Hey, you can do that with Ikea furniture maybe, but you can't do that with the gospel. You can't do that with the plan, the message that God has given to us. Follow his instructions. We must have a willingness to follow his instructions. We go through the what ifs. What if we arrive and we can't find the colt? I mean, he says it's going to be at the, right there at the gate of the city. What if it's not? Did the disciples think that? Probably not. They, they knew Jesus was delivering on his word all the time. What if we say exactly what Jesus told us to and the people won't listen? What if those words don't produce the result that he expects? What do we do then? Or maybe even what could we do for Jesus that he's not thinking about? Hey, Jesus wants us to go untie this colt. We got a better idea. I know where we can find a Clydesdale. We can get him up on top of that Clydesdale. They'll make commercials about Jesus around Christmas time. It'll be great. Is that not our tendency in the Christian life? To jettison God's instructions because maybe we have a better idea or we have doubts. How willing are you to stick to the plan, follow the instructions of the Lord? We are given a mission and a message that appears foolish and unproductive, but it's not. When we follow God's instructions, we learn that He is sovereign over the whole process, and we can trust Him to produce the results. I, I want to take you to one passage. This is one of our only cross-references this morning. I'm not going to wear you out, I promise. If you just go to Isaiah chapter 55. It talks about God's ways and our ways. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8, going through verse 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. That is, that is a verse that I learned to remember a long time ago when trying to understand the way God does things. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bare to the eater, so shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty." without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Don't cast aside his instructions, his ways. Number two, there's a willingness to give Jesus whatever he requires. A willingness to give to Jesus freely. Not begrudgingly. The Bible says here in this passage in Mark 11, when the disciples untied the donkey, sure enough, verse 5, there were some bystanders. Now, Luke says in his gospel, clarifies that these bystanders were the owners of the donkey, of the foal. This lends a little bit more weight. These were not just people who saw something happen and broke out their iPhones and started recording, right? Not my problem, but isn't that funny how things have changed? Whereas people used to see something bad happening and try to help, now they just want to get it on video so they can get likes and shares and whatever. But let's just say that, that these men were just people just happened to stand by and go, well, this is strange. Here's some people who are not from Bethany, you know, or here's some, here's some guys untying this. That's weird. And ask what's going on. But Luke clarifies in his gospel and says, no, this was the own, these were the owners. That ups the ante just a little bit. Ups the risk just a little bit. These men had something to lose. They could have refused. They could have asked for a rental fee. Okay, your master needs it? Fine. How long? Let's figure out how much that's going to cost. X amount of denarii a day or a week or whatever. They could have refused. The Bible tells us, though, that they did neither. They didn't refuse, nor did they charge anything. There were, there were, there were no uh, strings attached. But they did ask the very question Jesus has in, had anticipated. Hey, what do you think you're doing? Hey, what are you doing? What's going on? People don't just do that. And when the disciples answered them, how did they answer them? The Lord has need of it. Just like Jesus told them to. We'll get to that in a minute. Does that sound like a very good reason to you? For someone to take something that's yours that's very price, pricey? That's worth a lot to you? Would that suffice? The Lord has need of it. Mark 11 and 12 are all about Jesus' authority. And at this particular point of the story, the Holy Spirit wants us to see that this response by these unnamed people whose cult is being taken is exactly how every created thing should respond to Christ. Anytime Jesus, the Son of God, has need of it, and you know about it, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Thee I freely give. That is the only right 
response and proper response. Now we think of it in terms of Christians and non-Christians a lot, right? And preachers will preach a lot to Christians. So if you're a Christian, you should do this. This is the response of every created thing. It's the rightful response of every th created thing. Jesus, all I have is yours. Lord, what do you need? What do you require of me? I have nothing of my own. Everything I have, I'm simply holding for your use. Lord, you have it all. That's what Jesus is showing us here in this passage. That's what the early church is meant to see when they see these strange events. Have a cursing of a fig tree and... and the riding on the back of a donkey. And what, what, what does all this mean? If you see that common thread throughout this, these, all, both of these chapters as you read them, you're going to see it. It's all about discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And the focus today in this passage is willingness. When we get to the fig tree, it's going to be about readiness. And when we get to the temple, it's going to be about ability. The willingness of a disciple, the readiness of a disciple, and the ability of a disciple. And the culmination of it is in that verse later on that we're going to see in a couple of weeks where Jesus says to his disciples emphatically, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And we see it here. The words that Jesus says to share, his disciples are obedient, they follow the instructions, they share it, and guess what? These men's hearts are open to release what was theirs to the Lord. The early church that we find in the book of Acts is noted for its generosity and open-handedness to one another, to strangers, and for the Lord's service. They held on to their earthly possessions very loosely, and they showed an overall willingness to give God whatever He required of them in the ministry of the gospel. Is everything in your life on the table for Jesus to use? What is your level of willingness with what the Lord asks of you? Thirdly, there's a willingness to trust His plan. We just touched on this with the disciples. <clears throat> now, going into that neighboring village and looking for this colt and finding it there and untying it, that's pretty painless at that point, right? But then comes the confrontation. Now Jesus said, if anybody confronts you and says, hey, what are you doing? You are to say X, Y, and Z. But whenever Jesus says, if, there's always this hope, right? That we would, we would that we kind of hold out of, well, we'll go, but maybe that won't happen. Maybe we won't be confronted. Maybe those people won't ask any questions, right? Isn't that the desire? Isn't that the hope? But they get to that point, and what happens? The thing that was possible becomes reality. Now, what do we do as human beings when we come to that point? Even the strongest of Christians. There's a temptation to change the plan, right? To improvise. To improvise on what God has told us. Now they, they followed his instructions, but are they willing to trust his plan all the way through? We have this temptation as human beings to improvise. Now, our family, when like we're gonna be on spring break in a couple weeks, and we're gonna have a really good time at our house, and we'll probably play an improv game. 
Okay? If you try to call us or knock on our door, we won't hear you at these times because it gets really loud in our house. We love improv games. We laugh at each other. We love to give each other hard things to act out. And when you have to act it out on the spot, you have to what? Improvise. Because you, you're, you're not ready. Right? And you just kind of have to work with it. You just kind of have to figure out what to do on the fly. And in the Christian life, we're tempted to do that, to improvise. But we see here in this passage, the disciples, when they could have thought about improvising and, well, ugh, they saw us. Now what do we do? I, I, I don't think Jesus' words, the Lord has need of it, is going to work. He's put us in this situation. What do we do? We, he needs the colt. He wants it. And we want to deliver the colt to him. We want him to be happy. But this part of the journey seems as though it's not going to work. What do we need to do in our own power, in our own strength, in our own intellect to make this work for the Lord? Have you ever been there? I'm there all the time. Just this general lack of faith. The lack, the lack of faith getting into those hard places in life where you're just up against a wall. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your financial status. I don't know what... There are times when we get into these situations in life where we're tempted by the enemy to go to plan B, which is our plan. Certainly the early church would have experienced this temptation. You're not multiplying as well as you should. Most of your people are being tortured and killed and turned over to the Roman Colosseum to be killed by wild beasts. This is, this is horrible. Stop sharing your faith. You're just putting targets on people's backs. Maybe we should reconsider what it means to be evangelistic and to grow and to share our faith and be a witness. Don't improvise. God has a glorious plan. His, his word will accomplish the thing that it sets out to do, to accomplish. Follow the instructions. Stick with the plan. Trusting God's plan is difficult for the Christian because of the many pressures we experience in life. And though we trust His Word and believe that He is good, we get flustered in the heat of the moment, don't we? We give in to the temptation to improvise. Brothers and sisters, don't do it. Don't improvise. Be willing to trust His plan. And then finally, and this is the last thing that we notice, it has to do with willingness. They take the foal to Jesus. These men give them permission they don't take it begrudgingly. They take it to Jesus and the Bible says that they, that the people put their garments, the disciples put their garments on it and he sat upon the donkey. And many people spread their garments, verse 8 says, on the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. This is the triumphal entry. The laying of garments and branches on the road is a picture of royal homage, one that we see in 2 Kings chapter 9. And these people that lay all these things out read Psalm 118. They recite Psalm 118, the one that we read earlier 
in our worship service. The word that's used, Hosanna, is the word Hoshiana, which means Lord, save now. Save now. There's, listen, there's, there's no doubt that what's going on here, no matter what the liberal scholars tell us, there's no doubt that what's going on right here is that Jesus is being proclaimed as the Davidic king promised from the Old Testament. He is the Messiah. And his sitting upon a donkey, he, he, is, he is now head and shoulders above all of his disciples physically where people can see him. They don't have to call out in the crowd, Rabbi, where are you? Now Jesus is seated on the back of a young donkey and people are recognizing him outside the walls of Jerusalem as he's entering into Jerusalem. There is no doubt that Jesus was claiming and that his disciples were claiming that the people were exclaiming that he is the king. He is the king with authority. And the triumphal entry was an indication to the early church of how public the disciples' ministry, how public the early church's ministry would be in the Roman Empire after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. As a disciple of Jesus, you cannot hide. You shouldn't try to hide. You should stand up. You should stand out. To identify with the wise and loving rabbi was one thing, but now the disciples would be identifying with the one claiming to be the Davidic king and so, there's this big production. And Jesus is now getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. And the last verse of this section concludes that he departed, entered into Jerusalem, came into the temple, and after looking all around, he departed for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. When Jesus goes into Jerusalem, there's no pomp and circumstance on the part of the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. The people who manage the temple who should have been excited to see him. Who should have been like these men in the village of Bethany who said, what are you doing? The Lord has need of it. Take it. No, he didn't have that reception. But brothers and sisters, he should have that reception in us. There should be a willingness in us to identify with him publicly and to lift up high the name of Jesus. What is your level of willingness today as you follow him? Do you have a high level of willingness this morning? Are you struggling in these areas to be willing to follow him, to do as he says, to stick with the plan, to give over to him everything that's yours and to be open-handed with the Lord to say, Lord, whatever you want, use for your glory. Do you have a willingness to be publicly named and known as belonging to Christ the King? I pray that the Holy Spirit increases that in all of us this morning. And if you're here today and you don't know him, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You've never surrendered your life to Him. You can do that today. And He will, through His love, 
through his grace, give you, create in your heart a willingness to follow him. And that journey can begin today.